That was Violence is Violence, The Horrors in the Museum, The Cloud Song, Flesh Crucifix, Cosmic Curse, Farce, and then we started off with Teenage Time Killer. Great title there. Um, so, you know, I know this is a band we're not going to focus too much on, but I think it's kind of a, a cool band, the UK Anthrax, because to me, like, they sort of sound like, um, you know, Violence is Violence is a song we heard from, great title, Cannibal, or Capitalism is Cannibalism, uh, which is a very anarcho kind of title but uh they sort of sound like a mixture of like crass and conflict in terms of like the what those two bands kind of brought to the table um you know in terms of like the ranting sort of nature of crass but like more the like violence of sort of conflict a little bit at least that's what i kind of picked up from them so tell us a little bit about the the non-american anthrax i guess so i think they were um I think they're from Gravesend, which is in the southeast, you know, the yep. east, just the east end of London. And then um, Gary, or Oscar as he's known, is still, I mean, Anthrax is still going today, and Gary runs his own DIY record label called Grow Your Own. Um, and he puts out, you know, fantastic modern anarcho punk, and they're all sort of benefit releases, you know. So he's, you know, he's a lifer, definitely. Um, yep. But that, you know, I love that EP. I mean, it's a typical crass EP, you know, the way it was laid out, the way it was produced and everything like that. And I think it was like what we were talking about earlier where, um, you know, the second wave is influenced by the first wave and, and the influences get distilled and distilled until you get to, like, the pure essence of, like, anarcho-punk, you know, and that's, that's kind of, you know, you're getting kind of near that with that, that anthrax ep and it was just so noisy and so angry and so well-intentioned as well um yeah great great yeah. band yeah and they came out their first song was on speaking of the the bullshit detector comps that we talked about they were on bullshit detector 2 and then um i think that record we just heard came out on crass records so they're kind of you know under that all these labels, you know, Mortar Hate and um, no um, Spider, Spider Leg. Leg, you know, it's all like those those initial early kind of foundational bands like set up like the pathway for all the other bands to sort of like find an avenue to create music and stuff like that, which is cool, you know. So. Yeah, I think that was, um, yeah, I think I think that was a really important part of it. Really, Crass um, probably, you know. I, as it went on, probably thought, you know, they eventually realized they created a monster sort of thing. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't think, I, I doubt they ever wanted like a thousand bands that sounded like Crass, you know, mm-hmm. so the same way that Discharge probably never imagined there'd be a thousand. Oh, all the D beat bands, yeah. Bands, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, 
in like discharge, but so. You know, so in this next set, we're going to mainly be kind of you know hitting on one of the the big players. I, I would say, along with probably subhumans and crass, I think conflict is probably the other you know of the the big three of this kind of scene. But before we get into conflict stuff, because I'm sure that will eat up a, a lot of this talk set, um, Omega Tribe. Um, I kind of threw them in here as like a palate cleanse, maybe. They seem like kind of one of the more kind of almost an outlier of the scene in terms of like tunefulness. Um, they really seem like they're they're a little bit more musical than some of these other bands in terms of their diversity of of what they're kind of bringing to the table. Um, and what a great song, "Freedom, Peace, and Unity." I mean, tell us a little bit about you know Mega Tribe before we kind of dive into into conflict here. Yeah, they. I guess they were one of those. You know, there were many bands that made it. The sort of you know the big tapestry of the scene as it were and uh, I think we touched on it earlier when we said you know that there was a lot of bands that you know didn't sound like you would maybe expect them to sound I think when I was picking an Amiga Tribe song I I, I naturally veered towards the heavier end of some of their stuff but I mean some of the stuff they've done is really really sort of lightweight very melodic um and, 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 you know, and the lyrics are all the more poignant and powerful because of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always like, I mean, what, he was a great bassist as well. And, you know, as a bassist. I, I was going to say, Daryl's bass playing on here is great. And I thought yeah, as, a, I as get, a bass player, you would kind of di- pick yeah, up on it. Yeah, you get hooked in by it sort of thing. And, um, yeah, but their, you know, their album, I think it's called No Love Lost. Yep. The is not what it used to be, but... You know, it's such a, a such a great record, and I think it's an unsung sort of um, classic, really, of, of the Anarcho scene. Yeah, and it charted really well too. And then I think they toured yeah. with uh, toured with Conflict, actually. So, and, kind of a- and I think the intre- another interesting thing, if I remember rightly, is um, I think Vice Versa from Poison Girls was one of their mothers. Oh wow. <laughs> I think I think it's Vi's son is in the band. I'm sure. Hmm. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, yeah, definite is Pete Fender <clears throat> from Omega Tribe. It's um, Vi's son. <clears throat> yeah, and he kind of came in as like a fourth member a little bit later after I think they started. So yeah, that makes sense that he's a little bit younger. So. So but yeah, no, you know, like you said, uh, you know, worlds apart from conflict sonically yeah and, uh, you know. and speaking of conflict w- would you put them as like the next tier right after crass in terms of importance to the longevity of the scene or the historical importance of the scene because that's where we're kind of going yeah. next i mean i think um yeah i mean if you're talking about you know the the, the top five of, of anarcho punk it's got to be sort of crass flux conflict subhumans and p9 gotcha uh, but you know, a lot of people would say sort of crass flux and conflict, um, oh. you know, would be the most you know the seminal anarcho punk bands. I mean, conflict took, you know, they, again they 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 boiled it all down, and you know they were much more confrontational. Much you know they were really black and white in their sort of um, lyrics, and they wanted to provoke a reaction. Um, you know, and they did, but you know, meat means murder. <clears throat> I think I was already a vegetarian by by that 
at that point when they when I heard Meek Means Murder, but you know, it sort of encapsulated, you know, the sort of outrage that made me stop eating meat. Um, and yeah. it was so, so angry, the conflict, music, conflict music was so angry. When I used to go hunt sabbing in, in the 80s, um, I used to listen to the song Berkshire, Berkshire Cunt from, um, from Nation of Animal Lovers EP. Mm-hmm. We used to listen to that to, you know, to get fired up <laughs> before the before the hunt sab. You know, it was really inspirational sort of. I think that's what drew me to them as well as just the conf- the confrontational energy and yeah um yeah just how yeah you know they-, they did um they did that album uh i mean i love the first album it's time to see who's who but mm-hmm. it's very punk record and that next record increased the pressure i think is where they came into their own one side of it's live and isn't particularly good but the studio side of that album I mean the title track, you know, the end of that fuck 'em up again. I mean, it's just it's yeah. like a it's a call to arms almost, you know, for like the people that were still in the scene by '84 almost, you know. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, they were a very very important band. Um, you know, no matter what, <clears throat> you know, you think about what they became or what's happened in in recent years with them. You know, they they the new album they've been talking about for, for years and years and years just hasn't materialized, you know, and, um, you know, Colin, the singer seems to, you know, just upset everybody on sort of social media now, which is, which is what he does best at the end sure, of the day. He's, a, he's an antagonist. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. I mean, look at the name of the band conflict. That's what he's, yeah, yeah. he's looking for, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, so a lot of people have sort of fallen out of love with the band. And, but I mean, you, you know, you can't deny the power of that the stuff they were doing hey and they even gave us kind of by accident well i don't know if they gave it to us but um colin i believe was friends with ian asbury right and ian asbury kind of hung out around conflict in the early years before he went on to southern death cult oh i don't know i didn't know that name yeah i thought it was kind of interesting yeah in the early days i read that ian asbury was kind of like a like good friends with those guys which is so strange but you know and i'm a huge cult fan so why not you know yeah (laughs) yeah Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Like this seems like a band that if someone was like a metal person and wanted to know or wanted you want to kind of lure them in a, a little bit, and maybe you didn't want to go like full amoebics, maybe they were just you know um, they were they were a tamer metal person. Um, I might give them conflict, you know, because even songs like Blind Attack have like a, a thrashy undertone. You know, by the time you get to From Protest to Resistance and some of the stuff on you know Ungovernable Force, I mean that stuff is heavy. You know? Yeah, that's the stuff that a friend of mine who's deeply, uh, it was in the hardcore genre, was like, okay, you need to check this out. You like Discharge, you know, this is the next way to go. Yeah, yeah would, you, the, would you agree with that? Is that? Do you think they're a good gateway band to get people kind of, you know, to bridge that sort of punk to metal sort of thing? I mean, I think, I mean, you Amoebics were very metal. I mean, anti-sect were very metal. Sure. Um, and of course, we're building to them towards the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, I mean, conflict, for, I, mean, I remember um, hearing the song Cruise and, and being, you know, kind of blown away by, by how angry it was. I mean, yeah. everything they did was, was angry. Mm. Um, but, you know, they that first EP, I can't remember the name of it now. The, 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 the song House That Man Built? Yeah, blind yeah, attack. I mean, there's a song on there about 
you know, a, a feminist song with, with with a female singer. Well, even Blind Attack, yeah, that we're going to play has female vocals on it, which I thought was really yeah. cool. You know, you know, and um, and 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 then when you factor in as well, they did more to hate. They did all these compilations, um, you know, that gave upcoming Alaco bands a sort of outlet in the same way that Crass did with the Bullshit Detector records. Yeah, and then they. Something that was kind of interesting, too, is that um, they chart it really well. We haven't really talked about that too much, but one of the things I kind of was constantly really impressed with and reading your book was how well some of these so visceral, uh, very political, very angry bands that we've talked about thus far, like, did on the charts in the UK. I mean, that's that's pretty... I don't know. Was that, like, an anomaly of this era, or is that something you would have expected? It was the... It was the independent charts, um, which were, yeah. which were a big deal in the eighties. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think, I think Flux of Pink Indians. You know, that new Smile EP, if I remember rightly, was at number one or number two for months and months and months. I mean, these bands were selling huge amounts of records. You know, hundreds of thousands of copies of these EPs and stuff, um, which is pretty impressive when you look look back at it now and compare it to sort of physical sales these days. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But that was just something that kind of blew my mind is, is how well these bands were doing, you know, so. And they did chart in the sort of lower ends of the national charts as well, which was, which always blew my mind. Yeah. And another interesting thing about conflict for me was um, when big John, the original bassist left Oddie from broken bones joined, um, yeah, it was right around Ungovernable Force, I think, is yeah, when he joined. Yeah, yep. so I think, you know, I think that sort of cemented, you know, so you had the, the two camps coming together again. It was like the end of the sort of, um, you know, rivalry, because I guess Broken Bones would have been like a studs and leather band, you know. Yeah, chaos, chaos yeah. punk, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I think it just showed that that, that whole division was kind of silly really because you know oddie was in broken bones but he was a vegetarian and he was you know super intense and very political and he was a perfect fit for for conflict absolutely it just shows that that the the two camps were a lot closer than they realized i think sure all right well let's get into it um we've got omega tribe with freedom peace and unity then we've got Blind Attack from Conflicts, The House That Man Built. Then from their debut record, It's Time to See Who's Who, we, we're going to hear the aforementioned Meat Means Murder. Then a pair from Increase the Pressure, uh, the title track, and from Protest to Resistance. And then we're going to end with a tune from The Battle Continues called Mighty and Superior.
say it's all a con I look at the past history, tells all government he's wrong I'm walking through the grey walkways of the city And through the brightly lit shops and supermarkets And I'm walking through the fields of the innocent Passing by the fairytale farm Balancing on the brittle edge of a short life That is ended by the knife Bullshit is the fact Say 
heard mighty and superior and sorry from protest to resistance increase the pressure meat means murder and blind attack from conflict then we started that whole set off with a much more calm and peaceful tune called freedom peace and unity so but yeah we're we're right in it now uh ian we're kind of in the the crux of like the the heaviness is starting to increase uh of the show so for the people that have stuck with us who are maybe naysayers of the scene they're about to be i think rewarded right when you say you know this yeah. is kind of where we're validated maybe. yeah where it all starts to come together a little bit um and the last song that we're going to actually end with in the next set from conflict is metal mania and we were kind of just talking off mic about you know a band like conflict using you know metal what what was kind of the the execution of that uh why were they commenting on here i think there was um a, a general frustration with the the metal scene i i guess i guess they were playing into stereotypes you know subconsciously as well but yeah. you know that most metal bands sang about satan and you know dungeons and dragons or what fantasy or. stuff yeah a lot of that yeah and um you know and, and i think that for a while that was that was the big sticking point between the punk and the metal scene you know mm -hmm. and you know with crossover and, and and metal bands thrash metal bands coming up with much more politically aware sort of social political lyrics and stuff like that it became a lot more palatable for um 
for, for a punk audience. And um, hence the, the sort of late 80s punk scene in the UK got very metallic. Um, you know, you had bands like sort of Concrete Socks and Sacrilege and English Dogs. And, you know, you had punk bands like Onslaught turning into full-blown thrash metal bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the same thing was kind of happening in America too. It was like a yeah. you know both and that was both sides. The, the the rub between at least me growing up in the late '80s, early '90s, between the punk and metal scene, the the music had the same intensity, but metal was more frivolous in what it was using its platform to sure. talk about. You know, yeah. so. But then you get like the Napalm Deaths and the thrash stuff, and, and all the Metallica's sudden, and all yeah, this started, stuff started know. to kind of like get a little more serious, which I think kind of help preserve metal and give it a second life you know yeah it couldn't just keep doing dungeons and dragons and, and fantasy lyrics and, and well stuff then as like soon that. as they incorporate all this you know grindcore happens yeah exactly you know um yeah do you see any associations with i mean kind of i mean we're about to get to the heavier spectrum of things but where does sort of the you know grindcore which kind of came out of the uk i mean a little bit in america too it had some influence but do you see some direct kind of pathways from anarcho-punk directly into the kind of uk grind scene and some of that stuff yeah i mean it's i i guess it's there in in napalm death i mean you know we napalm death were playing sort of punk gigs in in the back rooms of pubs um and then you know mickey harris joined on drums and he, he started you know that whole sort of blast thing going and i can remember um everybody stood there scratching their heads, you know, uh, <laughs> it caught on, you know, Napalm yeah. Death was a support band to all these, you know, I used to go to a really well-known venue in, in Birmingham called the Mermaid virtually yeah. every weekend. And Napalm Death were the sort of, they were like a house band there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and I can remember, you know, one, one week they were a three piece sort of grinding away, like, early amoebics and then the next they were doing this insane sort of you know three second songs all this blasting and <laughs> it was you know it was it was so odd it was funny you know to and um but eventually that you know that as the support band they were pulling the bigger bigger crowds than the headline bands sure yeah once john peel signed on it was like okay here yeah, we go yeah yeah, yeah. you know i think um you know there were a lot of bands you know playing at hyper speed back then, you know, Napalm Death and Heresy, Intense Degree. Yeah, extreme uh, Noise Terror, you kind of throw yeah, that in there. Yeah, Extreme Noise Terror, Rip Chord. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a very, very fertile scene and there was a lot of cross-pollination between the Anarcho scene, the thrash metal scene, US hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, all sort of coalesced. So that sort of UK hardcore thing. Absolutely. So before we talk about one of the, the big swingers in terms of a band that we know had a big influence on directly on metal, which is Amoebics, um, there's one band that you wanted to throw in, um, and I didn't know much about them, called Exit Stance, uh, with an uh, album called Crime Against Humanity, and the tune uh, Bally Kelly Disco, which we'll play in the, this next set after that last conflict tune. Tell me, I, I didn't get much chance to sort of poke around on that band. Where do they kind of fit into all this, and, and what kind of stands out to you about them? Um, they were kind of like, um, they came through, um, not on the coattails of conflict, but they certainly, I think more to, you know, conflict released them, conflict took them out on tour. They were very, um, 
direct in their approach, like conflict, um, you know, not frightened to front troublemakers at gigs and, you know, and get involved in activism and stuff like that. Um, again, as a bassist, Bally Kelly Disco hooked me in with, yeah. with the bass line, but they, they were just, they had these sort of penned in tribal beats, similar, I guess, to Amoebics, actually, that we're also going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, an, an overlooked band, and, and they're still going today. Uh, well, I say still going, they had a long layoff and they've, <laughs> they've reformed. Um, but, you know, still singing from the same hymn sheet, you know, still committed um, to that sort of alternative lifestyle, still a great band. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, that was, it was cool. Like one of the reasons I've had so much fun doing an episode like this is just the, the new discoveries, you know, all these bands that, you know, the next we're about to get into Amoebics. And then after that, uh, icons of filth, that was a band I never knew of before all this. And like, wow, what a, what a pleasant surprise as a metalhead to, to find them in addition to some of these other bands, but they, they really stood out to me and I, I know we'll talk about them in a moment, but, um, yeah, it's fun to find these kind of diamonds in the rough or bands I probably never would have been pushed to to ever discover on my own, you know? Yeah. So, so Amoebics, here we go. Um, <laughs> this is definitely a band, you know, not only with a lot of Motorhead influence, but this is a band, you know, they always got teased or, or asked about whether or not they were fans of Venom and they would kind of continuously be like, no, we're not fans of Venom. But yeah they almost kind of like toe that line between this anarcho punk scene and like the beginnings of sort of, you know, not just hardcore, but it, you know, some of the extreme metal elements that will start to bubble to the surface throughout the, the second half of the eighties. Um, yeah. I mean, you can definitely see some like where Hellhammer maybe kind of jumped off like that same kind of, yeah, know, that direction and the yeah, that frost and Hellhammer and, and some of those yeah. bands were, yeah. were hearing some of this. Um, I think it's Venom's definitely, I don't know whether Venom was a, a, an accidental sort of thing just because of Rob's sort of vocal inflection, but definitely there's a big chunk of Killing Joke. Yeah, they were yeah. huge. Joy Division, Killing Joke, you know, Bauhaus, yeah. those kind of bands. Absolutely. So They started off as... Um, they they were from the edge of Dartmoor in, in the southwest of England, and um, which probably accounts for the sort of dark sort of pagan sort of ritual feel to some of their stuff like down by um, stonehenge yeah (laughs) you know you can imagine them sort of rehearsing i think they lived in a big old house you know all dilapidated on the edge of the moors you know full-on sort of uh, um of the baskerville sort of atmosphere and then but they moved to to bristol you know where chaos uk and disorder Mm -hmm. you know scene was really taken off and um i think they they took an awful lot of drugs as well um you know like dangerous amounts of drugs so i think all of that fueled that sort of sound that they created um and again i was lucky enough to to see them you know at the peak when they did the arise record um, they were only a three piece, and oh my god, they they were so heavy and so powerful. Well, I want to um, I want to read you a quote from yourself of what you said about the Arise <laughs> record because I thought it was oh, okay. awesome. Do you uh, see if you remember writing this? You said the debut Arise is like standing before the open door of a blast furnace and melting into white hot miasma of pagan savagery. 
And I thought that was awesome. That's (laughs) (laughs) such a great description of a band, you know? I mean, I can remember standing in front of them and um, just being carried away. It it was similar, in in actual fact, it's similar to the Killing Joke live experience, actually, where it seems to transcend just being a band on stage, you know, and it's almost like they're summoning something. Yeah. it might have been the drugs as well. I mean, I think it's <laughs> straight edge for many years, but I don't think I was back then. Yeah. Um, you know, so... Um, well, you mentioned but, too in the book, and this was kind of interesting, I wanted to ask you about it, that when they brought in, um, they met Martin Baker at a kind of a co-op, and he comes in as their drummer, and he sort of gets the band into um, atavism. And I didn't know much about that. It's some kind of occultist kind of stuff. Like, I, I tell me, do, do you know much about what that is, the... No, I'm, I'm desperately trying to rack my brain to think what it was. I think it's, I think it's the, isn't it the worship of, of objects in nature? Is that what it is? Okay. You mentioned it in your book, but you didn't really go into a lot of detail in the book. So I was like, oh, that's yeah, maybe something I'll ask him about, but I, I, I don't I'll know probably, much about it. I'll Google it up straight after this. And yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of that before, Mark, atavism? I've heard the term, but I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't know what it was, no. but I thought it was interesting because we've been talking it's the first time that that kind of aspect of that, you know, paganistic kind of non-Christian kind of influence starts to really kind of come into any of these bands, which of course is a metalhead. It's pretty common, but yeah, the dictionary definition is a tendency to revert to something ancient or ancestral. Oh, okay. So that's pretty interesting. So that kind of adds like a different element to this band, right? Than almost any of the other bands of this scene, you know? Well, their artwork was, um, Rob, the Baron, uh, who, who went on to be in Toe Cross and everything um, in recent years. He um, he did all the artwork, and it was very, you know, evocative of, like, battles, you know, at sunset, you know, and, um, you know, there, there, there was a dark brooding element to the, to the band. Yeah, um, and even like the song that we're going to kind of kick off with, No Gods, No Masters, um, in your book, you I can't remember who you're interviewing here, um, but one of the members, uh, I'm trying to find it in the book, but they said that the concept of that song was a, uh, it was about the concept of gods because I would never have described us as non-religious. We lived amongst conceptual gods, if you will, at the time, the gods of science, of religion, of sex, politics, all of it. The these are all almost uh, like Roman household gods. For me, we were talking about a god that was beyond religion, but it's a horrible thing to have to use that word because you immediately get confused with religion anyway. And he says, mm-hmm. the Gnostics had this belief that was re- reflected directly in films like The Matrix, that they believe that, you know, they created this world, was a creation of the... De- you know. So he goes on this whole like kind of weird philosophical religious kind of rant in your book that I was like, oh, this is really intriguing stuff, you know? Um, they were they were putting something different into the mix of like anarcho punk. I feel like with that influence. Sure, know? I mean um, Rob, who did that interview and gave me that quote. Oh, that's from Rob. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, I I'm find sure. It. Sorry. That's Rob Miller. Um, he then moved to the Isle of Skye where he makes swords. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of see where he's coming from. So he's working a forge, you know, out in the Scottish islands <laughs> making yeah. making sort of um you know swords so i think yeah yeah he was 
you can see, you know, when you know that, you can sort of see where they were coming from musically. But I think, you know, their first few records were quite primitive. You know, the first few EPs they did, uh, Winter and... Um, Who's you know, the that, Enemy, yeah. And then they did a 12-inch and it had a, a track that always caught my imagination called Battery Humans, mm. um, okay. you know. Uh, but then they did a rise which came out on alternative tentacles and that uh, i seem to recall rob saying that jello signed them off the back of the eps and then was horrified at how metal they'd gone <laughs> yeah they said when they played it for him he didn't say a word he just was very <laughs> mute the whole time so uh that's that's yeah <laughs> They also said one thing that I thought was cool as a metalhead that they used to uh, play mob rules at the gigs just to piss people in the audience off from Black Sabbath, <laughs> just like in between their songs and stuff like that, or before they came on stage and stuff. So they obviously like were kind of had a foot in metal in some capacity, even if they, you know, were were kind of coming out of this scene a little bit. So um, yeah, for sure. And I, I remember seeing them in Bath, um, and there was a band. Oh, what's the band called? There was a band supporting them, I think, were called Rest in Pain. Okay, all right, yeah. <laughs> the, the, singer, the, the singer had a full back tattoo of um, the, the Celtic Frost EP, um, Emperor's Return, you know. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. And the girls and that chained to him and stuff. Yeah. That was a full back tattoo. So I think, um, yeah, Celtic Frost was definitely exerting an influence you know, on, on the punk scene. And, uh, you know, when you listen to bands like Deviated Instinct and stuff like that, you know, you can hear the sort of frost. Sure. Element. Well, even the classic but, breakdown in Scum, you know, that's like all yeah, pure Celtic yeah, frost, yeah. you know. Yeah, so. yeah. I think I think Amoebix sort of predated that. Um, you know, I don't think the Venom thing was intentional. I just think that was just, that, you know, all their influences coming together in a mountain pot. Yeah, I hear more Motorhead than anything, especially like uh, when we get to Nobody's Driving a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. That's very yeah. Lemmy-esque, you know. And so. I like the, that primitive kind of, uh, I think the Venom and Amoebics both kind of share is that it's just that primitivism, if that's a word, in the vocals. That's yeah. probably the, the connecting tissue. Absolutely. And I think um, there, there was also, you know, a, an affiliation with, with bike gangs. Um, oh, sure, yeah. You know, and... There were there were the um, like the new age travelers on the convoy buses as well. So that was crossing over into the anarcho punk scene. You know, there was so much, so many, you know, so many sort of different cultures feeding feeding that vein of music. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I mean, even when you get to like, I mean, Axemen, which will end this set. I mean, the lyrics of that is practically death metal. You know what I mean? It's just like about killing people and chopping people up, and you know, fear the Axemen and. Yeah, you know what I mean? Is it, is it, isn't that about an excess? Isn't it meant to be about an XSAS guy that goes off the rails? Or is that what it is? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You would probably know better than I would. <laughs> so, so it was like a like a falling down type situation where somebody snapped and kind of went off, like postal style, or yeah, I, th I think so. It's definitely a line in there says, "Is he from the army or the SAS or something?" Oh, like that. okay, very interesting, cool. You know, and that, and again, that was interesting for me because i live very near where the sas are based in the uk okay all right well let's get into it uh we've got uh, a final song from conflict the aforementioned metal mania from one of my kind of favorite i think because it's so metallic the ungovernable force that's a fun record 
And then we've got Exit Stance, uh, Bally Kelly Disco from The Crime Against Humanity. And then we got a trio of tunes from Amoebics. From Who's the Enemy, we've got No Gods, No Masters. Uh, from No Sanctuary, we've got The Church is for Sinners. And then Axemen from Arise. <laughs>
was Axeman, The Church is for Sinners, No Gods, No Masters. Then we had, uh, those were from Amoebics. And then we had Belly Kelly Disco, a little palate cleanse in between uh, from Exit Stance before we started everything off with Metal Mania from Conflict. So so we're going to kind of start to bring things towards a conclusion with these last kind of set of bands here. Um, we got one more from Amoebics from Monolith, which is a kind of an interesting record. Um, it's kind of their most metallic and, and almost heaviest, but sometimes the production's not great, but the songs are pretty pretty cool, including uh, Nobody's Driving, which is one of my favorites from the record, um, both from the thematic elements of like the lyrics and then just the, the kind of lemmy, avert motorhead worship that you hear here. Um, any thoughts on kind of like Amoebics kind of, you know, as we kind of wrap up before we move on to Dirt and uh, The Mob and Icons of Filth? I mean, I guess they... I, th- I think they hit their sweet spot for me with with Arise. Yeah. Um, the next record, like you said, I think they were they incorporated some of their sort of um, you know sort of you know their deep seated sort of rock influences coming to the surface a little bit. I seem to remember that that record was did it come out on heavy metal records? I can't remember what label it came out on offhand. Mm-hmm. I know it's two I, years after Arise. So yeah, I think. I think it was run by a born again Christian, actually. Oh, <laughs> interesting. It always think, struck me as a bit of a strange pairing. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he knew what he was putting out at the time? I kind of doubt it. You know that he. Yeah, pro- probably not. And, um, yeah, it was heavy metal records. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good call. Was, yeah. Okay. So, um, but I mean, it was you know, live. They, live. Those songs just slotted right in with the with the set, you know, that was on a rise. Yeah. Um, I think I saw them a few times as, you know, they were on that next record and stuff, and they were still, 
you know, incredibly powerful life. And they kind of, as we kind of wrap things up, I mean, they were always sort of plagued by, by sort of health stuff with Stig. Uh, you know, he was having seizures on stage, um, almost like a, you know, like a Joy Division type scenario, except he, you know, he didn't pass away. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And they think it was right. You talked about the copious amounts of drugs and, and things like that where they were kind of happening, you know, that was complicating with his epilepsy. And it was just, it seems like it wasn't like a really healthy band in general, even though they produced great music, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think you know the intensity of that music was probably born out of the sort of tension, you know, and, and the danger, you know, their re- you know their everyday lives. And I think I think Spider, the drummer, um, for the last few records, I think he got tinnitus. He went in to be a, went in on to be in a band called Muck Spreader, hmm. um, and then he got tinnitus. I think, and he's had to stop playing. Oh yeah. Drums. But, but then Amoebix reformed with an American drummer, uh, Roy Mayorga, I think, from, from Norcia, hmm. um, and did a comeback sort of album, which was really good. Um, I don't think I've know, heard that. It, yeah, so it's definitely worth, um, worth checking out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they did an EP where they re recorded some tracks off the first few seven inches with Roy. Um, I wonder if that's. Maybe my edition of No Sanctuary, it, it's the No Sanctuary Plus EP. I wonder if that's got the re-recording songs on it. Yeah, no, I think No Sanctuary is the 12-inch. And then if you've got the one with Plus EPs, I've got that CD where it's got the winter and um, yeah. the other. Is that some of the newer stuff you're kind of talking about? No, no, that's the original. Oh, got it. That's just the yeah. an EP. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it's, it's well worth checking out their sort of comeback record but i don't think it was to be and i i think you know that i think rob and stig you know that they're, they're brothers and they argue like brothers as well and you know perhaps they just can't really be in a band together for, for too long yeah that and was then, the vibe i got from your book <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so um, so now we get to two bands that I kind of think are maybe a little bit of a palate cleanse before we dive back into sort of this more metallic stuff with Icons of Filth, and that's Dirt and The Mob. And, um, you know, Dirt, you know, female vocals, um, kind of, you know, Gary, the guitarist, was really inspired by, like, Poison Girls and X-Ray Specs to want to have kind of a female vocalist. Then they end up getting a sort of female guitarist i think for a little while in the early years mm -hmm. uh named mo but um they're kind of an interesting act and then the mob is is kind of i don't know a lot about them but i can tell you that no doves fly here is just an incredible song you know so tell us a little bit about these two bands before we kind of dive back into the metallic madness of <laughs> you know antisect and uh icons i mean um what struck me about dirt was Dino's vocals were so piercing, you know, you couldn't really ignore them. Um, I mean, the only, uh, that, uh, their EP, I think it was called Object, Reject, Refuse, Abuse, mm -hmm. or something. Like yeah, and, Object, um, Refuse, Reject, Abuse, yep. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't, didn't think I had it quite right. <laughs> but, um, you know, and again, it was just so noisy, so intense, you know, it was just a perfect record. Um, I think the the only album they did was would never mind dirty as the bollocks or something like that and it was it a live record I yeah that was think. a live record. yep yeah, yeah. So the, and a lot of people i think you even said that they were a better live band in a lot of ways and so that never mind dirt here's the bollocks is kind of a, a good 
you know representation of some of the the high points of that band yeah and i think you know and i think that you know a lot of those those bands you know if you captured them at the peak of their live performances it would knock spots off their mm-hmm. studio output but it was just you know the technology and the budget of actually capturing that and also the difficulties of capturing it without sort of smoothing off all the rough edges really i mean you know conflict did various live records and it never really captured mm-hmm. the live conflict experience yeah and one thing i thought was interesting about dirt too is like after they they kind of you know obviously didn't had a pretty short run um they kind of reformed in the i think the 90s after seeing come uh, a riot girl act called daisy chainsaw which i thought was pretty cool um because I kind of grew up with like the riot girl stuff. A lot of the girls I hung out with in high school kind of turned me out of that scene. And so I actually heard some of those aspects in, uh, in Dino's vocals. So I was like, Oh, that makes sense that they would kind of find a new spark from, from that scene that arose in the nineties and stuff. So. Yeah. um, And it's good that, you know, there's a cyclic quality to that, isn't there? You know, mm -hmm. you know, they inspired that wave of bands and then they were newly inspired by them as well. Um, and I think they did really great in the States. Um, you know, I think they're very popular in the States. To- gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I hadn't heard of them until you kind of suggested throwing the, the Hiroshima tune in, but um, I'm glad you did because it was kind of a cool find. So yeah, I, I love that. And then, and then the mob were totally different. Yeah. Really. I mean, they were um, so much more somber, um, you know, and, and sort of poignant. And um, I mean, no you know no doves fly here has this sort of like lilting kind of joy division cure bass like it's just got you know just really it's a really interesting song i mean penny even said he says i think no doves is one of the most beautiful singles in the whole punk era you know what i mean so it's just a really i don't know they were kind of inspired by like bob dylan i think you said in your book like they were you know they loved the song hurricane and, and different like protest kind of songs and so they were kind of taking like a different set of influences. Than I think a lot of these other bands were. And I don't think, I don't think they're particularly enamored with, with Penny's mix of, of no doves. I think they think he overcooked it. Gotcha. Um, since and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think my favorite mob song is probably witch hunt. Oh yeah. It's got, um, it's like a can tune almost, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's to me that, that captures the sort of, this sort of smoldering intensity they had, which which some of the other material, I mean, if you listen to their album, Let the Tribe Increase, I mean, it's a fantastic album. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, it does. they don't capture the ferocity of Witch Hunt again. I think that was, a, you know, just a moment in time, really. Um, but, great, you know, that's a great, great record, that Let the Tribe Increase. That's a fantastic full length. Yeah, I have to um, check, check that one out. Yeah, I mean that you know in that very you know mournful and sad sort of um, lyrics and, and music, it all hangs together perfectly. I think mm-hmm. if you like Amiga Tribe and stuff, you'll really get off on that Mob album. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean I love those those two songs I've checked out, the Witch Hunt and No Dubs. So um, definitely get into it. So and now we arrive with near you uh, up near Wales, right, Cardiff, uh, with Icons of Filth. Yeah, yeah. So they were um, 
I think they they were what they started in 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 1980. I think you know they were one of the first bands, but they were called Atomic Filth to start with. Yep. Yeah, that's what I've got in my notes. And right. I think I think Stig the singer was good friends with Colin Conflict, and they were following Crass around. So you can kind of see um, the influences at work, and um, and Icons of Filth played with Conflict an awful lot. Um, you know, they were sort of touring partners, but they were, I don't know, there's something a bit about the way, um, I think it's Daffy, the guitarist, you know, the way he he frets his chords and stuff. It's kind of like Voivod in a way. They were sort of making up these discordant sort of, um, you know, notes and stuff, but Stig's lyrics are incredible. You know, I, I loved his lyrics. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Voyevod because I point out something to Mark when I first got here because I was listening to this Icons of Filth in the car driving to to his place. And I was like, Mark, do you hear like weird kind of black metal-ish tunings in some of these like Icons of Filth tunes? And I, you know. Yeah, it's you almost like, like the like the the picking. The yeah, it sounds like mayhem and, almost. Yeah. So like, like some of like the slow, out slow parts too. and the ringing and things like that. And so. You know, Voivod again, Mayhem. Those those are these like weird anomalous like bands that like kind of are you know singular in a certain sense. You know, and so these guys kind of sound it singular for that whole scene, even compared to like Amoebics and and, and Anisect a little bit. Yeah, I mean the icons of filth were um, so furious live. They were just. I mean, I saw them support conflict, but they were always more intense in conflict. Yeah. Um, you know, they were just raw really you know angry um you know like i said stig was such an an amazing front man but he was an incredible lyricist and i think i think his lyrics are some of the best you know that that came out of the anarcho punk scene and it was you know it was an incredible loss when he sort of um died um it was um, probably around 2005 or something like that. I can't remember the exact sort of date, but they just played a gig in London and he came off stage and I think he had a heart attack or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, but that was just before I was about to interview him for the day the country died. Oh, bummer, man. I'd interviewed him for Terrorizer a few times okay. and had him lined up Um and, and in the end, I went down and sat with the rest of the band and interviewed them, you know, quite a few months later after they kind of got their head around what happened. And it was a very, um, you know, poignant interview because of that. Um, but yeah, one of my favorite lyricists and, and such an intense band. Yeah. And I mean, am I crazy to hear the influence that they may have had on like, like some of that more extreme metal elements like in the future? Or is that just maybe an accident, you think? Um, I mean, I, I, they were ahead of their time for sure. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you listen to a song like "Evil Speak" or something off that "Welcome to 1984" comp. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's you know, it's just out there. You know? I mean, even like "Fucked Up State" that we're well, the first song we'll play from them has like a crossover yeah. thrash kind of feel to it. Yeah. It's it's pretty pretty wild. And and one thing in terms of influence, I did find is that uh, I think it may came from your book that um jerry from poison idea which is a pretty pretty awesome american hardcore band said that it was basically motorhead and icons of filth that like inspired them to start that band you know so okay interesting yeah Yeah, pretty interesting if you want to check out some new music 
um, the son of Stig, um, a guy called Calvin, Calvin Sewell, fronts a band here in the UK called Grand Collapse. Oh, okay. Um, I'll write them down. And, um, you know, he's sort of taken the baton passed down, you know, by, by his father. And um, he's creating, you know, really confrontational, intelligent, hardcore punk. Um, yeah, so that, you know, that's a, an interesting one to sort of branch out into. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. We've got Nobody's Driving from Amoebix's Monolith. Then we've got Hiroshima from Dirt from The Object, Refuse, Reject, Abuse. I think I did that in the right order. And then No Doves Fly Here from the No Doves Fly Here EP from The Mob. And then a pair of tunes to get us started with Icons of Filth, both from Onward Christian Soldiers. We've got Fucked Up State and Death is the Only Reason, our Only Release, excuse me. Thank you. 
That was Death is the Only Release and Fucked Up State from Icons of Filth. Then we had No Doves Fly here from The Mob, Hiroshima from Dirt, and Nobody's Driving from Amoebics. Um, so we're going to you know, kind of play a couple more tunes from Icons of Filth, but we kind of you know, wrapped them up in the last set. So the last band that we really you know, kind of saved till last, essentially, and, and one of the heavier bands that was kind of part of this scene is uh, Antisect. Um, you know... Their ferocious intensity. Um, certainly, I think they had a massive influence on like a lot of the merging kind of grind bands. I think Napalm Death played their first show with them and Amoebics and Subhumans and stuff. So, you know, as we kind of wrap a lot of this up, where does Anisek kind of fit into the the narrative of this? And kind of what what type of influence do you think they had even beyond punk into the the metal and extreme sort of stuff? Well, I think um, I think their album in Darkness. There is no choice. Mm-hmm. It is like um, a classic anarcho 
punk release and it you know it had the black and white poster sleeve and mm-hmm. just lyrics forever you know every song was about 60 lines you know of lyrics and then clearly a a statement and um i think back then they were a five or six piece with a couple of vocalists um and they morphed into something quite different they sort of slimmed down to a three-piece and they went much more metallic. So they sort of ran with the metallic influences that were starting to come out on the sort of In Darkness album. Mm-hmm. And by the time they did The Ape from the Void 7-inch, you know, they were a full-blown sort of um, metallic punk band, you know, uh, it, which didn't seem out of sorts really back then because, you know, they, they were, they looked and sounded a lot like you know, Amoebics and, and and those sort of bands, um, you know, all part of that scene. But again, an incredibly powerful live band, you know, you never heard a three-piece make so much noise while well, you have, you know, but... <laughs> sure, yeah. But like in that they were era. A classic, then, yeah. Yeah, they were a classic sort of three-piece sort of um, band, you know, and, and, and they were they were big guys with, with, you know, enormous hair and they were... Um, I remember I was either told the story or um, read it somewhere in a fanzine, but they toured Italy and they, they were put up in this little sort of, sort of cottage, you know, for a day or two between gigs. Um, And I think they terrified the locals who all thought they were like some sort of like werewolf road warriors. And they were bringing them sort of baskets of food and leaving it at the door and running away before they opened the door and stuff. So, um, yeah, they kind of <laughs> got into a, got into it a little bit with the Carbonari, I think in your book you were talking about, you know, and, and I yeah, think yeah. that like image wise too, you kind of mentioned that this is where like the term sort of crust punk starts to come, come into play with like them and yeah, Amoebics sure. a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it was sort of denims and leathers that were sort of so dirty. They were sort of, they'd gone shiny. Yeah, uh, <laughs> dreads some of that kind yeah. of aspect to their you know and i think the hair was sort of starting to dreadlock not not as a fashion statement but just because that was the you know the most convenient way to wear it if you lived in a squat you know, I, got, or something. I mean i gotta imagine carcass was sort of into these guys a bit just in terms of the imagery too in terms of how early carcass sort of looked with the dreads and vegetarianism and, and just like the politics that it were definitely sort of came out there. of that scene for sure you know yeah, for sure. They they they, yeah, they definitely did come out of that scene. Like the and, what the what the hell the atom or electro hippies? Oh yeah, I mean, electro hippies. Or like you know, know crust stuff, stuff too. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. So they were yeah they were a UK hardcore band that would almost certainly have played with anti sect. You know, but but then like but then like you know for such a like a just an intimidating band like they hit the indie charts with in darkness there's no choice and they just missed topping the smiths on that chart you know what i mean like that's insane to me you know what i mean because this is not a this is not this is not cautious music at all that we're going to hear from from this album you know no no that you know that like i said these punk bands were selling a huge amount of records and i think it was you know the stars kind of aligned for the for the punk scene back then and you had sounds and nme and that sort of you know, these were big music papers that were selling hundreds of thousands of copies every week, mm-hmm. you know, and giving five out of five reviews to the anti-sept album and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Mm. 
I think the other thing that's really fascinating about In Darkness is that they merge and join all the tracks together on each side. And I think it was maybe in your book, but like John Peel was like pissed because he couldn't play any songs on his show <laughs> because like there was no way for him to like separate the songs and things that's, like that. Yeah, very punk rock idea. And I, I thought that was that was that was pretty cool. That was a cool. You got to play the whole side of an album on nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's like the bathroom break thing. So yeah, you could, you could go for three minutes exactly. or something. Exactly. Yeah, that's the, the you put on when you gotta you know, <laughs> to go to go run some errands or something. But I mean, enemy the 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 famous you know journalist uh, magazine said that it, the album and the band sounds like an angry fighter jet crashing through an aircraft carrier. I thought that was a, <laughs> you know a pretty pretty interesting sort of thing that was kind of going on there. And um, you know, I think Pete um, the vocalist. Let's see. Yeah, what is I, I have a quote that I said, Volkos Pete, he left after the UK tour, so that's when they became kind of a three-piece. Um, and when they were playing live, uh, the, because the vocalist had left, they, this quote you had in your book is that the, some of the guys in the band didn't know all the words um, to the song. So then they said, necessity is the mother of invention, and we replaced <laughs> any words we couldn't remember with the names of the 1966 England World Cup squad. And I thought that was, that was, I was just getting a kick out of reading this chapter on Anisect. I was like, these guys are, there's a, you know, the Italy story, you know, the John Peel getting pissed off, the, we can't remember the words to our own songs kind of stuff. 60 it, lines each. I mean, yeah. It seemed really. almost like, uh, like a, like a positive spinal tapish type situation where, you know, things were just kind of going awry for the band, you know? Yeah. They, they, it was when you, when you listen to some of the songs on in darkness, it's almost like a, you know, stream of consciousness. It's, you know, they really lay themselves out. And, you know, and then they they split and, and vanished. And um, I think Pete became a, you know, a producer in a studio. Oh. But they did reform the band, um, you know, a, a few years back. And they've, they've since done an album. I think it's called The Rising of the Light or something. Okay. Um, Oh yeah, and I've it, seen that. That's the one that's on Spotify. They don't have any of this other stuff on Spotify, but they have yeah, that one. Yeah, and it's so. um, it's on it's on um, Lee Dorian from Napalm Death's label. Oh yeah, Rise Above. Yeah. Oh, it's on Rise Above. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. That makes sense. So uh, you know, it, it's interesting that you know how these things go around because obviously Lee was a huge anti-sect fan back in the day, and then he gets to put them out. You know. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Like your your idols, you know, yeah. you get to kind of own he did the up same thing with bit. Angel Witch. Oh yeah, yeah. He put out some new Angel Witch <laughs> yeah. stuff. So, yeah. and then kind yeah. of, you know, it almost seems like this scene starts to dry up, kind of around eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven. Um, one thing you talk about in your book was there was kind of police were starting to kind of crack down on squatters and communes and things like that. Um, you mentioned an incident which I didn't know much about called the Battle of Beansfield. Um, and a lot of the protest spirit just in England was kind of starting to, to kind of die out a little bit. Is there kind of a, is there sort of a natural, is that, is that this confluence of events that sort of brings this kind of anarcho stuff to, to kind of a halt or, or is there something more that, that you kind of would put a, a spin on that? I, I mean, I guess it was the rise of, um, of sort of the rave culture as well. Mm, and, okay. You know, sort of drugs, you know, definitely took the legs out from under the scene, I think. Um, I mean, I didn't really see it as ending because I was already 
wrapped up in the sort of next wave of UK hardcore, which we've already touched on, sort of heresy, napalm death, extreme noise terror, electro hippies and all that sort of stuff. Gotcha. Um, you know, and it just felt like a continuation, you know, so there was all the stuff that had gone before and it was all wrapped up in these sort of new new bands, you know, and um, it's only it's only when you sort of pick the bones out of it all sort of 30 years later or whatever, when you're trying to write a book about it, you know, that you separate them out into these sort of modules or whatever, but it all just felt like one big continuation to me. Um, you yeah. Know, so, but yeah, I think, you know, when you look back at it, there was you know, a, a, a heyday for sort of the, the anarcho-punk thing the same way there was for the sort of UK 82 stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then it just morphed into something else. Yeah. You know? yeah I mean, that, that makes sense with scenes. You know, that kind of happened with... Yeah, you know, we can only, only in retrospect, can we really... I mean, thrash kind of melted into death metal. You know, early yeah. death metal kind of yeah. had thrash elements and then a finally, you know, just so those things kind of happened. But if you were like a outsider looking in, you kind of see like this division of, oh, that's when thrash kind of disappeared in 91 or 90, you know, but yet yeah. here it is. It's still still around, you know, so... Um, I think usually what, what sends the death now for a scene... It's probably when there's more bands than audience, mm. and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it, there's just so many sort of copycat bands saturating the scene that it it just loses its its excitement, you know. Um, and I think that happens, and that and then what you find is you know the, the people that weren't sincere vanish off to do something else, and you know the people that were into it are still there carrying on, and you know. The, the seeds have already been sown for the next sort of wave to come, to come crashing down, sort of thing. So, um, you know, it's, it's happened to all the sort of, you know, you, you talked about thrash, you know, and I did a book on English thrash, you mm-hmm. know, and there was a sweet spot, you know, when there were some great bands, some great, great records, you know, just being snapped up by labels, but then. You know, it gets too big, there's too many bands, all the labels want their token UK thrash bands, you know, and the scene just sort of eats itself. Yeah, yeah. No, it happened to thrash in here in America, hair metal, grunge, you know, all those kind yeah. of scenes that I kind of lived through, you know, um, that that always happens. As know. soon as they stop being a DIY movement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the time is, you know, no doubt. limited. So before we get yeah. out here... There was one last question I wanted to sort of throw to you is I, I don't I don't know if it kind of came up, but was there an equivalent of this type of scene that, you know, an anarcho kind of scene like happening here in the States that you, you kind of see? Or was it a lot more just dis, kind of spread out in the U.S. and then nothing ever really coalesced quite like what we saw in England? Well, I definitely. Um, yeah, I definitely have said that there was, um, you know, I would have said. If to, to directly correlate it to the period that we're talking about, I would have probably said sort of Crucifix and MDC. Okay. Um, you know, they they were, they seemed to be, you know, sort of sonically and aesthetically very similar. Sure. In fact, DC released something on, on Crass, and I think Crucifix were released in, in the UK by, on Corpus Christi, if I remember. Gotcha. 
And I know anti Semics in Sweden, they're kind of thrown into this a little bit too. They yeah, so sh- yeah, so I, I think well I've always said it anti Symex, but Symex, um, yeah, Simex, yeah. yeah, who knows? So I'm that, bad at yeah, Swedish pronunciation, so <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah. And there's um well yeah, my, the, my current band have just been released on Symex Records, which oh. is the drummer anti Symex. Okay, well, so there you probably know how to say it better than we do then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Symex, yeah. yeah. all right, got it. But um, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think the, yeah, there was an, an anarcho scene over there, you know, and there was a band called Apple from New York. Okay. And, um, it just, I guess, it maybe seems it wasn't as big here, obviously, as it was in in England, you know. Um, yeah, I'm, and I think the Dead Kennedys, whilst they weren't an anarcho punk band, I think. I think everyone over here took a lot of inspiration from the Dead Kennedys. Yeah, and certainly they had some of the same shared politics, I think, of, of Crass yeah. and some of those yeah. bands, for sure, even if they weren't marketing themselves the same kind of way, you know, so. Yeah, I think, um, but, you know, there, there, there seems to be anarcho punk bands, from you know, from all, from all around the world, you know, so I think, I certainly don't think it's um, just, the, just the UK. I think it was, you know, sort of, little sparks taking taking light yeah around the world so i know um we're not done but i know you've got to you've got to go we appreciate you calling in from england uh with the time difference i know it's getting late over there i guess before you go uh just kind of two last things one is promote anything you know like let people know kind of how to get a hold of some of your you know the the books you've written and some of those kind of things and then just kind of any final thoughts on kind of the lasting legacy that this scene has had kind of on you know, modern day punk or metal or, or anything that you kind of feel like you want to say before we, we kind of wrap things up? Well, I guess um, uh, my publisher would kill me if I didn't plug my new book. Um, so, so I've just done a, a book called The Scene That Would Not Die, which looks at sort of the last 20 years since millennium of UK punk. Um, and it there's 111 bands in it. It's the biggest book I've done so far. It's 650 pages. Wow, awesome! <laughs> and the um, the publishers also did a double CD. It's two and a half hours, um, 60 bands from from the book, um, and you can pick the CD and the, the 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 book up like really cheap for the size of size of the thing. Um, so yeah, that's the scene that would not die. And uh, um, is there a website people can get that, or would you just yeah, recommend? So, so the late the, the 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 publishers are called Earth Island Books. Okay. Um, Try and so put I a jumped, link up. Yeah, I jumped ship from Cherry Red after the the last book. Um, Cherry Red, like you know, they're they're a bit more of a, a retro sort of nostalgic kind of publishing house, and I think this new book was just a little bit too contemporary for them. Sure. Um, so. Um, and like I said, I, I play in a band which gives a huge nod to, to anarcho punk, uh, well, to, to neurosis as well, I guess, in a way, and rudimentary penile and all that sort of dark, weird sort of stuff. And, and we're called Zero again. Zero um, again, okay. Yeah, so I'll, I'll send you a few links. But we've just done, we've done two EPs, and um, we've got sort of, we're about to record a couple more EPs. And gotcha. that's, that's kind of where. Awesome, awesome. 
Well, Ian, we do really appreciate it. Um, thank you. I uh, Hopefully you had a good time kind of working down memory lane. And I know um, we we're hoping that if, if this one went off with a, with a plum, that down the road, we do want to talk about the, you know, the Burning Britain book. And then obviously we just finished a American 10 part thrash series um, that we did. And so, you know, down the road, you know, if we, I think we want to kind of geographically maybe move around the world and hit Germany. And obviously with your book, it makes sense to, you know, down the road, hit uh, the UK thrash yeah, scene yeah. and stuff. So that would be good. Yeah. Cause um, the UK thrash scene is like the great underdog yeah, story. Yeah. Absolutely. It, I mean, the narrative I was always sold as a kid is, ah, the UK had grindcore. They didn't really ever have a thrash scene that ever kind of took fruition. And I kind of, you know, it wasn't until I discovered, the, you know, Sabbath and, you know, some of those kind of bands. I was like, oh, okay, there was something happening in the yeah, UK and Onslaught see it quite and as those much. kind of bands, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I managed to round up about, I can't remember, 85 or 90, you know, UK thrash bands for my book. So there was a definite scene here but it was very underground and it was really closely linked to the punk scene as well so i think yeah it'd be an interesting one to talk about yeah damn that's incredible awesome so well we really do appreciate you uh you know joining us ian um and so we're gonna get into uh one of our last sets of music here as uh, ian says his goodbyes um so any any last words ian before we go and play this the set of music and let you go yeah i mean just just thanks for having me i mean i i love to talk about this stuff i mean it you know and people sometimes ask me you know what's my favorite kind of punk music you know what's my favorite book that i've written mm -hmm. i would say the anarcho punk thing because like we said earlier it's um you know it shapes the way i think rather than just the way I listen. So it, it had a really profound influence on me. And, you know, if there's people out there still feeling the same way about it, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, no, fantastic. So, all right, well, we're going to hear from Icons of Filth, Now We're Getting Warmer and Evil Speak. Uh, then we're going to hear our first Antisect tunes from In, there is, uh, In Darkness There Is No Choice. We've got They, The Eternal Myth and Paradox, uh, Heresy, and Yet They Still Ignore. <laughs> Bad 
That was Yet They Still Ignore, Heresy, and They, The Eternal Myth and Paradox, from Antisex in Darkness, There Is No Choice. And then we kick-started off with a pair of Icons of Filth tunes uh, from Onward Christian Soldiers. We started with Now We're Getting Warmer, and then we heard Evil Speak from their record, uh, or I'm sorry, from the Welcome to 1984 compilation, which um, I'm trying to remember if I knew anything about that compilation. I didn't really write much down. I think that was just kind of like, as Ian was talking about, one of those great kind of compilations that sort of came together. I'm not sure who put that out necessarily. But uh, yeah, even in like a song um, that we heard kind of in the last sort of thing, I think it was the Death is the Only Release. I don't think I pointed out which song had that kind of like proto black metal atmospheric opening. That was the song that uh, had kind of the mayhem sort of flavor to it a little bit. You that know. actually came out, it was a Maximum Rock and Roll comp. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Oh, yep, I got that freaking written here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and there's like, yeah, anyways, it's kind of evil, really interesting stuff in that, you know, evil speak um, kind of tune. Um, some of the lyrics were like kind of reminiscent of just kind of stuff that you would have hear, maybe heard more out of like bands like Suicidal Tendencies and stuff like that. Like, I, it, and there's even this part in that song I kind of forgot to point out. I don't know how well you know like early suicidal stuff, but there's a song called I mean, Suicide. first record, but okay. So yeah. maybe you remember Suicide's an Alternative mm-hmm. where he gets like, like so freaking fast. Yeah. Like, and in the in the anger too in it and so the speed that they get in that song evil speak was just like this biting anger is 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 pretty incredible so um yeah but kind of we're wrapping up here with anisect and a few things um before you know ian um obviously had to go we kept him we appreciate ian being here he kind of stayed like a half hour longer than 48 minutes yeah so uh (laughs) so good thank you thank you on that ian so hopefully real quick that maximum rock and roll that welcome to 84 also had um Raw Power, the Italian, since we're yeah. talking about Italy, the Italian yeah. hardcore punk band that um, I actually saw. They played Detroit. Didn't they have, like, who did the covers? They used like uh, comic book covers, didn't they? Like, uh, um, almost like. Um, I don't know if they did or not. Uh, I saw them. They played. Almost they like did a reunion show. stuff is what I kind of remember on there. So, okay. They did a reunion show in here in Detroit. Oh, really? Okay. You know, but 35 years after they yeah. fucking put out a record. But How was they're that? always. Uh, it was great. I have them on my countdown. I just don't know a lot about them. I don't own either stuff. I don't know but. a ton, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the show immensely. So one thing about like Anisect, um, as we kind of wrap up here, that we kind of talked about, you know, how they they sort of just oddly fit in in terms of their image and, and all that kind of stuff. But this is a sort of quote from from Ian's book where um, the band says we didn't really fit in anywhere properly as a band, although we had roots in the earlier generation of punk coming as we did from the cultural backwater that was Daventry. We were never really part of the London scene. We'd find ourselves hitching to gigs up and down the country, regularly waking up in some pissy bus shelter or train station the morning after the, or the night before. We did meet a lot of absolutely fucking mental people along the way, though, some of whom would later show up at our own gigs. At the time, to be honest, we were probably more into Motorhead and stuff like uh, and, and stuff than a lot of the newer punk bands that were out there. And I never really felt the second wave of punk was that inspiring. There were bands like Killing Joke, who despite being to this day one of the most powerful live bands I've ever seen, were just so obviously fucking mad that although the music was awesome, it was kind of hard to truly relate to them. When Crass came along, it was kind of the other way around. We thought the politics were great, but felt but 
that for the most part the music was just a bit too tinny and shit sounding <laughs> so um and then they just kind of talk about their big break that we didn't really get into was they got on tour with discharge on the hear see say nothing tour and i think that probably like kind of you know lit them up a little bit um you know, yeah i started, mean i know discharge kind of exploded everybody's minds for you yeah know, that's the first thing you heard that's well, the first band that that takes you out on tour you know yeah part of that well even from know. yeah from a listener standpoint oh, but too yeah, like that like, was ian's like discharge, first thing. Yeah, yeah that was and same with uh um i've interviewed uh, scott carlson discharge was a huge yeah it was just like he said it was like the the soundtrack to the apocalypse like never heard anything quite so uh to the point and quite so urgent you know sure and if you want to know more about Discharge, uh, Ian didn't ignore. We didn't ignore them on purpose, but they're really kind of more part of his other book, the the Battle for Britain book. So uh, down the road, we'll you know talk about them, Exploit at GBH, and, and some of the bands that were kind of part of that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, and then they uh, they actually put some of their first thing out. I think in Darkness there is no choice came out. We forgot to mention on Spider Lake. Yeah. So again, kind of an interesting connection, which is the flux of uh, Pink Indians kind of label and stuff. So, you know, it was, like I said, it was a very insular scene and, and very, you know, everybody kind of was interconnected with everyone else. And so. Um, and it didn't really last. Like most things in punk rock, it didn't last very long. Mm-mm. You know, uh, bands maybe put out a couple EPs, maybe a couple records, if that, all yeah. within the span of like three to five years, and then they're gone. Yeah, I mean, Crass, you know, starts in the late 70s, but most of these bands were talking kind of 81 to, like, 85. Yep. And then, like, more or less, I mean, you know, Conflict pushes, like, um, I think Ungovernable was 86, you know. But yep. they, there's, yeah, it's like a relatively sort of short thing. And as he kind of talked about, it kind of melds into this next thing, which is the sort of grind, you know. Grind, that, thrash, that, that, that sort kinda. of thing that was kind of going on, so. But uh, yeah, so this has been kind of a fun episode. Hopefully you enjoyed having Ian in here to sort of guide us through. I know that this is, uh, you know, for those of you that are kind of more, you know, tried and true sort of metal people, I think you do turn to Requiem Metal Podcast because of how diverse we are and and the kind of historical kind of contextual stuff that we like to do. So hopefully you do appreciate that, even if maybe this wasn't always your cup of tea. And maybe you found a band or two that kind of, you're like, oh, you know what? I'm not a punk guy, but man, Icons of Filth. I can get into that. Yeah, or just or like context either. of how, yeah. you know, what, what grindcore came out of. And, sure. You know, even the most tangentially, uh, this could be, this is a very like uh, back of the room view of Napalm Death's career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like at the end of this almost. Yeah. Right. They're yeah. like, if we had a, a next song after Antisect, it might be Napalm. You yeah. know what I mean? Or, or Extreme Noise Terror or something like that, you know. Um, but Concrete Socks did get mentioned. Yeah. So go. that was always yeah. a, when I interviewed both her, that was a, I tried for years to find a Concrete Socks release, and I bet you they might have done a discography thing since. But I mean, speaking of Bolt Thrower, you got to imagine some of these bands. Bolt Thrower was really inspired. That's by. all they were into. Yeah, yeah it was a UK and subs and shit like that. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably even Icons as, as well. Um, I don't. Know, did you have? I know you were kind of absorbing this in the same way I was. Were there any bands that you kind of un- were unfamiliar with that sort of stood out to you in putting this together? Where you or or maybe a band that you knew a little bit about, but was like reaffirmed for you? Or well, I mean, Conflict was the one that I probably knew the well just from that Ungovernable Force. Yeah, um, I knew some Crass, but I kind of the, the the story I've told on other shows. I was going to mention to Ian. I, f- I forgot was the uh, when I first bought Stations of the Crass. I couldn't figure out what speed to play it on. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, uh, yeah. okay, put, put this aside. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how to digest it really. But that, uh, yeah, icons. And uh, I didn't really know much about Antisect. Yeah. And I, I really I thought they were pretty, pretty interesting. But yeah. um, 
Yep. Amoebix is kind of the the one that I still probably have listened to the most. Yeah, they, I think they're the easiest listen, you know, in terms of what the kind of stuff we generally are into. But yeah, um, yeah, subhumans, rudimentary. Right? You know, I think putting that neurosis show together and getting a couple tunes on there kind of really affirmed, and then picking up Death Church. I think I've listened to that quite a bit. They, they um, seem like they're one of those bands. Like everybody that heard them formed a band. Yeah. They're yeah, like they're super of, influential to people that like a Velvet Underground music. Joy Division kind of yeah. you know uh, that sort of thing sort of happening and stuff. So, all right, well we're gonna kind of get out of here. We've got a tune that we're gonna be playing from Antisex's uh, second record called uh, "Out from the Void," um, and it was actually a single that was put out in 1986. Two years later, um, and that's really where you find the band uh, really embracing their metal side a lot more, as I think Ian kind of alluded to. And you definitely heard metal in that last sort of section of music, but "Out from the Void" itself is is certainly the most metallic uh, song you're gonna hear from from this band. So let us know what you thought. Uh, shoot us an email at requiempodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook. Um, you can follow us, uh, Jason and Mark, um, on Twitter, uh, Requiem Metal Podcast. Uh, also on Instagram, you can kind of find us, same Requiem Metal Podcast. Um, if you're interested in supporting all the endeavors that we are doing and getting access to special bonus episodes, um, we recorded a bonus episode last night. Um, although that will be up before you hear this episode, I'm sure, because yeah. um, of just kind of the way we have things scheduled. And, you know, that episode, we had uh, patrons kind of sending us in questions, and we were just trying to kind of riff off of those kind of questions. It was very loose, very open, and that's what a lot of our, our patron episodes are. Um, and so if you want to get more content, you can support us there, or if you just want to support art that you believe in, um, we're a commercial-free podcast, and it's kind of like the NPR pledge drive. You know, we're always going to say, hey, if it's something you believe in, then uh, throw us, you know, throw us five bucks a month, throw us 10 bucks a month. I mean, I'll say it's like NPR, but we're not subsidized by the government. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have no subsidies. You know, we're subsidized by, uh, by you, by the, the listen, yeah. listeners like you. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. If the, the, the podcast that we do just for uh, patron only, um, that's at least at least if not more three hours a month extra of yeah. of different content. So. Yeah, and if you really are kind of you know have been a long time listener, or maybe you came to us through Neurosis, and we know that we we did get a, like a kind of flock of new people, and probably ironically some of the new people who came to us from Neurosis, this might be like something they're they're heavily into because of Neurosis's yeah. punk roots and and yeah. hardcore roots and things like that, but. Um, you know, we we we've got episodes that go back, you know, quite a you know a few years, and a lot of them are kind of lighthearted and fun. Some are a little bit more intense, like we did uh, three bonus uh, patron episodes for the Thrash series, uh, Heathen, uh, Devastation, and Flotsam and Jetsam. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll we've we've done some where we watch some metal documentaries. We've done one where we just kind of riff on Metallica. You name it. We've, we've sort of done a, a lot of different things. Things That's where often we'll talk about new music that we're listening to, or at mm -hmm. least just things that we're kind of listening to, even if it's not new, um, that maybe we wouldn't do a whole episode on. But uh, certainly, you know, check us out there. You can go to our uh, website, requiemmetal.com, uh, yeah, um, and you can click on the Patreon link there. The other thing that's on requiemmetal.com for new listeners is our old episodes. Our first 160 episodes are up there, and um, I actually have, um, Mark and I probably, it's probably something we, we should figure out sooner than later, but I, I've cataloged everything with links into a Google Doc um, 
thing that it's easy, you know, because we need to kind of create like a table of contents maybe so yeah. people don't have to just arrow back. Because we do have a search engine, so if you know what you're looking for, you want to try looking for a band, you can look for it there. But um, hopefully pretty soon we'll have some kind of thing where you can just kind of be like, oh, okay, I didn't realize they did a Blind Guardian episode, and just kind of type that in and, and or click on the link and, and go right to there. Um, or you can go to patreon.com backslash recommend podcast, and you can sign up to be a Patreon there and just uh, skip the link process. So. Mark, any uh, any final thoughts on on any of this kind of stuff that kind of came to you, or things that you, we've kind of forgot to bring up with Ian that you wanted to kind of get in about any of these bands or this movement? Or I mean, just kind of cements that how how connected the whole, you know, any of these like small little subgenres of uh, of more extreme music, yeah. I think is so interconnected, and the stories are 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 super interesting to me. The the minutia is the most interesting to me that the older i get the more i've listened to stuff yeah um and just when you thought you've heard all you need to know about you know napalm and john peel you know here's another little avenue where you can go down and sure. discover all these new bands that kind of share some dna absolutely absolutely so once again thanks to ian uh go check out his book um the uh his band the zero died. again yeah. what's that the day the country died. day the country died is what we read from but he's got his book on uk thrash he's got his book on burning britain um and then he's got his new book that's looking at uh, kind of millennium punk in in britain um and i he said it and i forgot i wrote down his band name and i wrote down it's earth island is the publishing company but i completely forgot to oh write zero down. um zero gins his band but i forgot to write down the the name of the new book that he's doing on the millennium punk stuff um it was in our previous uh set there he mentioned it well, yeah i mean yeah there's a thing called google that- yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so um but yeah you can uh you know get a hold of that stuff because both those books so far i've read i picked up the uk thrash book but i haven't had a chance to read it um because i'll probably wait till we're <laughs> moving in that direction they're yeah they're they're you know? huge tomes but they're great because you can read them by they're by all band. categorized yep. by band yep. so so it's 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 more of like a encyclopedia and by region too which yeah. is nice yeah which is really cool so all right, well, cool. So we've got Out From the Void from Anisect from the Out From the Void single from 1986. Uh, for Requiem Metal Podcast, I am Jason. And I'm Mark. <laughs>